Live from Las Vegas, this is The Wayne Coy Show. Yeah, it is. Okay, welcome to uh, the Monday edition, which means we get to go live all over the world all at once together from one little room in Las Vegas, Nevada. Nice to have you here and alongside John Caparulo, otherwise known as uh, as Cap. Hey, Cap, how you doing? Uh, I've been a fan since, uh, geez, 06, 07, somewhere okay, in there. Okay, when did you actually start? Well, I, I started doing stand-up in 97. Why well, was it that's officially, I mean, because I, 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 I dipped my toe in the water in like 94, but that was... Uh, I I quickly retreated. <laughs> and, uh, he said, "Oh no, not yeah, yet." Yeah, yeah, I always tell you the only thing I remember from that set was uh, uh, I was I don't even remember what I was talking about on stage. I just remember some guy in the back yelling, "Who cares?" And uh, that guy is still lives inside my head when I'm on stage. Every so, now in a blue, yeah, because if I'm up there and I mean nobody's laughing for a while. I'm like the who cares guy is gonna come back, so yeah, I better yeah. say something funny. So, uh, so did you start in Ohio? Is that yeah, yeah? I started well. I I was it, it was still finishing up college at Kent State, so uh, I was between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Uh, it ended up being mostly Pittsburgh because there was a club there. This it, it was a funny bone that's not there anymore. Uh, it was uh, I used to go there like Tuesday night open mics. Yeah, uh, when I was. So it was like for the first like year and a half of doing stand up, it was just basically it was pretty sparse. If I could get three or four sets in a month, you know, back then it was I was doing well. That's and, key uh, for you guys too, right? To get as much time absolutely on a mic, especially early on. You as have you can. to because it, it, there's just no substitute for stage time as, as a comedian because you just uh, um, the more you go up there and more you make that you know the stage kind of your home is uh, it's just it's just important so that you're. Yeah. You know, you're in your element, and uh, it's not going to be your element until you're used to it. And right. uh, so, um, yeah, so that was, I did that for like a year and a half, almost two years, and then I moved to L.A. in 99. So, yeah. Once you do that, that's like, okay, we're getting serious, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it would. I Yes and no, I guess. I don't know, because like, I, I, I had a lot of friends back then, like the other comics and, you know, at the Pittsburgh Club especially, who were like, you know, I want to, I want to, they always say, I want to hone my craft for a while and then I'll go to LA. And, you know, I, I didn't know this at the time. I just thought like, for me, it was like, you know, I wanted to go to LA cause it sounded like a, um, a fun challenge and adventure. And plus I hated the idea of like trying to like, uh, uh, I guess, I guess, uh, develop as a comedian too close to home because yeah. I didn't want anybody I knew coming to the show and watching me suck. Sure. So, uh, sure. It, it was just like, it just seemed like it was, it, it, it seemed more attractive to go, you know what? I'm going to go to Los Angeles and then I don't have to feel bad about being surrounded by all my friends who like got real jobs and stuff, you know, because <laughs> I, you know, I was, everybody else is a loser there too. So yeah, yeah, sure. we're all just trying to, you know, we're just, we're just artists, you know, trying to uh, pursue a dream. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it, but, you know, going to L.A. as early as I did, I thought that was good because I think, you know, it, I, I didn't have a chance to, start, to to like develop any sort of uh, like an ego or, or an expectation, you know, like because yeah. I saw a lot of guys surrounded like, by that, though. Well, I mean, because like a lot of guys would go to L.A. after they'd worked the road for a few years. And then it's like no matter what you've done before you went to L.A., you still got to start at the bottom. So it's like, yeah. you know, drawing, you know, numbers out of a hat to get three minutes of stage time, you know, it's just not something you're going to want to do when you're 30, 
you know, whereas when I was, you know, 23, 24, yeah. I didn't care, you know, and, uh, yeah, you I, weren't married then. You had no kids. Right. I, you had I, a dog. I, I, I remember. I, I, you know, I didn't even have the dog yet. You didn't so, even have the dog. Yeah. I, okay. I had, I had a bunch of nothing. <laughs> so, uh, uh-huh. I was, uh, I just had a, I had a really good friend, uh, who, who moved out there with me. So I wasn't all by myself, which was really key for me. It was, uh, but I, you know, other than that, I had no ties. So what um, did he do or she? You know, he was just really just uh, wanted to go out there to, you know, see what he could get into. He had graduated from college too, and and he was just like, you know, heard you were going go out and there said and get a job. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah, you know, honestly, it was his idea, and uh, hmm. uh, you know, he brought it up, and I remember he brought it up at the right time too, because I remember I was working a temp job uh, for as, as seasonal Christmas help for Joanne Fabrics. <laughs> and I'd be there like 6 a.m. And I mean, I'm trying, it's dark and it's cold and it just hurts and I'm depressed. And, you and know, you're looking he, at pallets he, of fabric. You know, he called me and said, Yeah, when are we going to LA? And I'm like, That sounds like a fantastic idea, sir. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really that, uh, that simple. So it was just like, All right, you know, save up some money and we'll go. And we left, uh, like less than a year later. And, um, is yeah. he still there? He's not. He, he's moved around a few places. I think okay. he, he's uh, right now. He's in uh, uh, DC area. So. Is he uh, g- like a general manager at Joanne Fabrics now? Or? <laughs> no, he didn't work at Joanne Fabrics. Oh, gotcha. He was actually in Pittsburgh. He graduated from Duquesne, and I and we were just still best friends from like you know uh, uh, high school years. Sure. So um, he just, uh, but it was really good that I had Timmy there to you know uh, uh, to lean on. Cap and Timmy, who was paying the bills? You know what? Timmy did a lot, man. I mean, he really did. Cause I, 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 um, you know, I didn't, <laughs> my grass cutting job, it didn't really, you know, I, I could barely get by on that. Plus, you know, it, plus I had a lot of hours cut cause I was late all the time. And, uh, sure. you know, but I, I, you know, I, that and I worked the door at the comedy store at night too. So, right. And so back that's... then, I don't know how they got away with it cause we didn't even get paid by the hour. I, I got 25 bucks. No matter how long I was there, <laughs> that was your nightly pay. No matter My what, nightly pay. Working. The Did door. they know that you were a comic looking for stage time and that's you were working the door? Oh yeah, well, that's a requirement at the comedy. It is. Store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. have to be a comedian who's you know you big you, enough you, to kick somebody's ass. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> they they had well for a while there they had security that could do that, like other security besides you know us little weaklings at the door, but. Uh, and then after a while, they got rid of him, and it was, I guess it was on us. But I'd shut up if you cops. came over and told me to shut up. I, you know what? I was I was fortunate enough. They put me at the back door of the, so I wasn't the guy like seating people in the original room, like where you know, I did that a few times, like in the main room, like on New Year's and things like that. But I I didn't have to do the you know I didn't have to do the front door stuff, which is usually the guy who would go tell people to shut up. I basically yeah. worked the back door, which is the back hallway. Oh, that's so, just take money for, and let people I in. I IDs for people who were going to the show upstairs. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just, it was humiliating at times. I, I, I mean, I always tell me, like, I I did a show one Friday night. Like, I was, I would always change my shirt. Like, you know, so I wasn't in my uniform anymore. Sure. Like, and uh, I, uh, I, I, I did a, it, there was a show going up in the belly room upstairs. And I, I you know, I, I, the guy, or the, the woman running the show comes down to get me. Says, you want to come up and do some time? I go up and. I had a great set. Like, I mean, I was floating when I come back downstairs. Yeah. And uh, it's a Friday night. It was a great crowd. And I get on stage and I come back down and the ma- the night manager's like, 
He's like, hey, Cap, are you done upstairs? Because the ladies' room toilet backed up, and it's flooding into the hallway right <laughs> How now. How demeaning so after that like, great set. He gives me a mop, and I'm like, I have to, I'm mopping the hallway as the people who just watched me upstairs, like girls. <laughs> Like they're like they're walking by, going, "Hey, you were really funny," uh, and I'm like, "Thanks, that's that's not my pee yeah. you're walking through, but uh, <laughs> thank you." And it was, uh, it, it was, it, it, it's one of those experiences that you know nobody's crazy enough to like it while it's happening, sure. but it's really, really, you know, one that you're thankful you had after you've been through it. Yeah, because it really was important. To so that was the entree, man. more so than doing anything you did on the road when you were in yeah. Ohio. Yeah? yeah, I barely worked the road at all before, you know, I went to L.A. It was, you know, it was just basically. Did you like, work for John Yoder? Uh, no. You ever hear of him? No. Oh, he was the guy out of Michigan that would take comics, shove them in their car. They would drive like 14 hours right. I to heard get paid like, $100. Dollars. like that did like in the, in the Northwest and yeah. things like that. And I, fortunately, I never really went through that. Like I didn't really go work the road until uh, uh, like I'd, I'd been on TV a little bit. Oh, okay. And then once I was on TV, it, it, you know, I, you know, it was kind of like, all right, well, I, I should probably do this. Yeah. <laughs> what was the TV debut for you? TV debut was um, uh, the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. That's right. Uh, uh, 2003. And uh, it, it was, um, you know, it, it, it was it was it was really cool being on TV and having that video and everything. There was no YouTube at the time or anything like that. Right. So it was like, you know, whoever was up watched it maybe if they had TiVo or whatever at the time is but you know it it's just it, it was uh it, it was still like it was just cool to be on TV but i think um it wasn't until like chelsea lately and things like that that like and that was something you did a lot to actually of. know me from sure. TV so yeah you didn't really take her crap did you I yeah mean, oh yeah <laughs> sure everybody did yeah okay as i recall i seem to i seem to remember you being kind of brave with her a little bit well, and i remember thinking yeah go cap go Maybe when a camera was on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> now, Chelsea was always really, really cool to all of us as far as being liberal with her spotlight. Yeah. She shared it with all of us. And really, that was such a like a fun way to be on TV versus, you know, like when I went on The Tonight Show, it was such an honor to be on there. But it still wasn't like as uh, like spontaneous because yeah. you had to you had to rehearse. You had to do the exact set that you had rehearsed for the producers a bunch of times before you go on. Yeah. And they're, you know, it's, it's, it, they have run a real tight ship. Whereas Chelsea show was a lot more loose and, you know, Hey, we're going to talk about these topics. You have jokes for it. Yeah. You go over them with them ahead of time. But if you think of something while you're out there, even better. And Let it if, rip. if you start talking about something, you know, maybe that you wanted to talk about and she starts talking about how fat my neck is, then I guess that joke's out the window. And yeah, I gotta can't can't my do head. that one. So yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a, that show was uh, a whole lot of fun. Did you have? Was it Leno or was it Jimmy? Ken- Jimmy I, I, I was on when Leno was okay. uh, the host. Yeah, I was on. Uh, I did three times. I did stand up when Leno was hosting, and then uh, one other time I went on there and did like they had like a kind of like a a, a, a panel, kind of like on Chelsea, like a roundtable panel of me and two other comedians. Uh, talking about different topics one time. So four times total on it tonight. Okay. Yeah. So you did it once with Jimmy or was all Jay? It was all Jay. All Jay. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever worked with Jimmy? No. No. You know, it's weird. After, um, after a few times, like I, I did, uh, like the Tonight Show and things like that, I just, you know, I, I always had to sort of, uh, censor myself and edit the way I usually do my stand up. Cause sure. I mean, if you ever see my stand up live, I, 
I like to cuss a lot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was uh, thinking, I go, I said, I know he's done radio before, but um, we'll see. I didn't yeah. know how good of a self-editor you, because now you're podcasting and you can let it rip. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. the thing is, I've always been able to like, okay, we're just having a conversation right yeah. now. And it's like, okay, we, I, you know, I, I can manage to talk with, because I feel like if I were to cuss right now, it would be the type of thing that <laughs> it wouldn't help the comedy right now because it'd right. be like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. So. Sure. I can edit myself then, but it's like when I'm doing stand-up bits that I'm used to doing nightly at, at, at a club. You got to you got to clean it up, yeah. Bombs and things like that. Because I those first few times you look back and see like my first like Kilborn spot or whatever, like you know you can see like it's so it's almost annoying how much I say the word all right because <laughs> I was trying to like fill in the spots where the customers where the f bombs are supposed where, to where, go. Yeah, I was just because it's almost like trying to keep your balance. You know, linguistically. So, uh, you know, you, you, you trip all over yourself when you're, I'm used to saying, you know, F in this or, you know, BS here, whatever, GD. Can't do it. You know, so it's like, it's, you have to figure out something else to keep the rhythm the same way and the delivery the same way. So, let's see. I got an yeah. example. Let's see if we can catch you saying, what'd you say? All right. All right. Yeah. All right, let's go. You ever have this problem? My cable went out like 10 weeks ago. <laughs> And the cable company doesn't care. Like, really? Like, I called him. I'm like, yeah, I got fuzz. Can you do something? Well, we can't come out tonight. <laughs> we can come out on Monday between 10 a.m. and Thursday. You're going to be home. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be home, but I don't have any TV. Do you see my problem? Well, maybe it's not your cable. Then he asks you stupid questions. Is your TV plugged in? I will f- stab you. All right? I swear to God. I guess you didn't have to, you didn't have to clean that up. TV ever, really. You plug it in once and it stays that way until you move, all right? You don't have to plug the TV. There could be a nest of possums behind my TV. I wouldn't know it because I don't go back there. Yeah, I was going to turn it off with the remote, but then I thought, you know what? It might turn on by itself. So I thought I'd go ahead and unplug it to quell that storm. All right, yeah. I'm I'm retarded. I don't know if I mentioned that when I called. I gotta go to my friends. Yeah, it was okay. Dude, I go to my friends. All my friends do is watch porn. (laughs) What is it with guys? I'm all for porn, but don't share it. (laughs) I go to my friends. Dude, I got this killer new porn. You want to watch it? Not together, really. That's, uh, that's, that's weird. Dude. What's that going to do for our relationship? I don't know. And, now, would this be would this right be akin, uh, John, to to like a musician who had a record out ten years ago and then hears it being played on the radio? If you hear a bit like that, do you do you immediately conjure up where you were, what you're thinking, what you're doing, or is it like, wow, I forgot I ever did that? Some of it you forget you ever did it, you know, because it's weird because, you know, I'll have people come to my shows who are like, you know, have been fans for a long time or whatever. And they'll, they'll, you know, either they'll want me to do a certain bit that I did back then or, or. It's like playing Freebird. Right. And, and but it's, it's not because it's not music where it's like, you know, I mean, no matter how much you love it. It's not going to be the same because it's not going to hit you the same. It's yeah. just, and I'm not going to deliver it knowing, especially knowing that you already know it. It just feels stupid because it's like, <laughs> why am I going to tell you this story that you already know the outcome uh, to? Yeah. And it just feels weird. So <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I, but a lot of it, yeah, it's like, I don't, uh, I don't remember because it's like, you know, I don't watch it. Like, yeah. I, it's not like I sit around, sit around in my house watching me. Yes. You know? it's, right. Uh, so I'll forget a lot of it. And it's funny because like, you know, my second special, my second hour special I did, like, I was thinking about, like, the closer I did about, uh, uh, tandem skydiving. And I mean, I used to close my set probably for about three or four years straight with that bit. Yeah. And I got to the point where I was, I was so sick of that bit. But, 
Now I couldn't, I probably couldn't do it if you asked Even me Even if to. you wanted to. Because I, I don't remember all the, like, the beats. I remember the story, but I don't remember all, like, the little punchlines and stuff like that I had back then because sure. I haven't done it in so long and I, I can't bear to watch myself. So. You, um, I love to laugh and you make me hurt, okay, because <laughs> you'll hit me, I start to go, then you get me again before I've even caught my breath. Yeah. You're really good at that sort of rapid fire, thought upon thought upon thought. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that that is such a skill set that you have. That's, it's I mean, always been, I mean, that was the way I always, you know, uh, thought of comedy myself and all the, all the, you know, the guys that, you know, uh, I guess I looked up to and, and you know, it was, it was just a... Uh, uh, it, it was the it was the way that I could go on stage and make myself feel the most comfortable, you know. Yeah. The who cares guy would be back there yelling if I didn't if I wasn't getting those rapid fire laughs and make you know having people doubled over sure. with, with hysterics because if they didn't, then you know it got too quiet and it got too uh, you know what am I doing here? <laughs> so, Somebody yeah. described you as and you tell me whether you agree with this or not. You are a comics comic like the comedians that are working with you don't leave like they stick around and watch your set because they enjoy you and the way you sort of you, you're i hate to use the word craft because that sounds well, you know. it's, a, it's a craft and I, you know I, I would love it if that's true i don't i don't know yeah I, well no i've heard i've heard I, that you know i i i mean i've i've yeah, I've heard people say that before, but I, you know, I don't know. I, I, Just this weekend, I got, oh, you have a cap on? Yeah. This is three different comedians yeah. who I guarantee you are listening right now. Oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're going to yeah. steal everything, but that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, but you don't look at yourself that way? Well, I don't, I, no. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I mean, when I look back, like, when, from the time when I started comedy, you know, you're just, you're just hoping that, like, you know, that, that you can, like, I guess, not embarrass yourself, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, I hope I'm as good as, you know, my friends and my family have thought I would be, all the people who said, you know, like, you know, you should be a comedian, you know, you're really funny, and it's like, you know, I, but when you first go up there, and the first time you do it, it it's it's not that easy, and right. it's like, you know. Frightening, in fact. It, right, and, yeah. and, but it's like, you know, you hope you can, you know, reasonably live up to those expectations, but it's like, you know, and I feel like I've gotten to a point where, yeah, I, I think I've, I've ended up being pretty good at this. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I ever have gotten to the point where, you know, before I go on on a given night that I think like, oh, I got this figured out. You know, like. Well, they say I, it's always good to have some butterflies, right? Yeah. Well, you, I think you should because, I mean, if, if you don't care enough to have butterflies, then what are you doing? Yeah. You know, because it, it's not. It shouldn't be that easy to go up in front of a room full of strangers and try to make them laugh. Right. It should bring you some sort of anxiety. And it's just whether or not you're able to sort of synthesize that anxiety into some funny. Uh -huh. And I, I've managed to do that, I guess, over the course of my career. Um, but do I, I, you know, when I listen to th that clip that we just listened to, I just, you know, I've always thought like, man, it, it's it's never as good as it was when you performed it. it you know, like when I remember that, that first Kilborn uh, spot I did I you know I thought I killed it I thought I had a great set and I remember I watched it that night and I it was just a letdown I'm like oh it's oh but you're just being tough around. on yourself of course yeah. but I mean as, you're just you're never going to be like as satisfied with yourself or at least I'm not like to to watch back or like look back at what you've done or anything like that and go oh man that was great yeah. you know it's just, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I, I think it goes with the territory of being sort of neurotic and, and self-deprecating and things like that. It's like, you know, I'm, I, I think it's awesome that there are people who are, 
who like what I do and are fans of what I do, but man, I, you know, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I look at it like, ah, you could probably find something better to do. <laughs> just, yeah, you're selling yourself short. How yeah. many hours a week do you write, do you think? Um, you know what? That's the thing is like, for, for me, it's, uh. Does it come in bunches? It, yeah. 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 It just, it's always been like that for me where I, you know, I'm, I have to have sort of some adrenaline going. So a lot of times it's like, I've written a lot of stuff, whether it's been on stage or just before I go on, you know, like, cause I sort of like, finally you know have that moment with my own brain trying to go over this that and the other thing about what i want to talk about and like when i have that adrenaline that sort of nervousness before you go on stage that's when it starts to sort of kick in and like little punch lines will go through my head and things like that yeah, but you can't you can't use that i mean you have to yeah really usually a lot of times it's like you know I, you know that's wow i started doing because i started doing the series uh that i've done online caplets uh where you know i I, it, it was like, all right, I'm going to do new stuff every 30 days yeah. and uh, record a new set of it. It's like a lot of times it's like most of those were like I wrote it in the car on the way. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it, and you could tell on a lot of them. But, uh, I, you know, it's it's like it just would uh, I'm terrible, especially when it comes to my stand up. I'm terrible at like saying, OK, I'm going to sit down and write, you know, yeah. and, and try to come up with too a, much yeah. of a discipline. It is. It's just like because my the way my delivery is and the way I do stand up it it is more sort of uh observational riffing yeah it yeah. just it just sort of like has to come out in a natural way and then when it comes out the right way it's like okay try to recapture that and 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 you know sort of mold it and and smooth it out do you write it down uh yeah well i mean i'll, I'll i always write it like ever since i've had like a you know with the smartphone thing it's like i've had a thing in my pocket you all the time that talk into your phone jot down uh you know like a a, a topic heading or something like that like but yep. if i actually try to like write it out word for word forget it man it's uh you know it, first of all it's like if i try to repeat that and recite it i feel like it doesn't sound right if the audience can smell it they're like what do you <laughs> but you probably just hit on why the comics like you so much i think maybe there's there's they see that that you can do that and they can't and so they're trying to glean from you what that is that's a maybe it's a yeah, way to work that, i think that's, uh and that's i don't i mean like i said it's 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 cool i'm i'm glad i have that skill but a lot of times i you know there are times before i go on stage or before i have a big show or something like that that i'm like you know i wish i wasn't that way i wish i <laughs> i wish i was able to do more homework so that when you know I arrived there, I wasn't so sort of stressed out. Going, man, <laughs> you know, why didn't you work on this? Or you know, why why didn't you actually you know do? And it's it's because I can't, you know, because it doesn't doesn't come out the same way, I guess. But yeah, it just it's uh yeah. I, I, I guess I've, I've you know I've had some I guess natural skills that have really lent themselves to uh, you know being successful. And you do it well. Yeah. Who who did uh, who did you look up to? Who were the who are the comics for you growing up where you were like, oh, if I could ever get to that level, yeah, that's, you know. Yeah. And maybe they weren't even super successful, but they made yeah, you laugh. Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, growing up, I was, uh, the first guy for me was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I, I mean. Rock star. Yeah. He really was. Because, I mean, my dad had Richard Pryor albums. And I remember him, you know, listening, I mean, on vinyl, you know, like we were, I remember him, like, yeah, I was like four, probably four or five listening to, you know, a couple of those albums with him and. You know, my mom wasn't that happy about him, I bet. Like, letting me listen to that with him. But, you know, I, I liked Richard Pryor, but like, uh, you know, when I remember when Eddie Murphy was on Saturday Night Live, I remember we used to, 
you know, stay up on Saturday or when we got our first VCR, we used to tape it. Memorize and, it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I loved, you know, everything that was Eddie Murphy on there. And then, uh, you know, I remember my dad taking me to see Beverly Hills Cop. You know, yeah. like, at the, like when I was nine. The first one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember he and my mom went and saw it ahead of time to like, well, let's make sure it's okay. And I don't know what they could have possibly been looking for. How many all, F-bombs I, flew? With all, yeah, with all yeah. The, the, the foul language, violence, and the nudity in that movie. Sure. It's like, what would you have seen to actually make you go, no, you can't go see that. Yeah. But um, it was, uh, but yeah. Dad I mean, was going to take you anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, but I was such a big fan of Eddie Murphy. He was such like, he was, a, he was like a superhero to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then uh, when I remember when I rented Delirious, for this first time and watch that, you know, just watching a guy talk about his life and his childhood in front of this audience, and, and it just looked so fun. Yeah. It looked like such such an awesome power that he had to, like, hey, come come join me on this little journey through my past or whatever, and, and you know. Is that I, what I, lit it for you? Is that what made you say, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to be a comedian? Delirious was, yeah. uh, was really it, because yeah. I, I, I just... It was just so. I remember watching it, rewatching it. I just thought it was the greatest thing I ever saw. Yeah. And um, you know, and then later on, I, I remember that was, uh, you know I got into uh, um, Sam Kinison. Uh, like probably when I was into like high school, I I remember you know I got his uh, albums on on cassette tape. He was like the know? kiss of comedy. Was, I think. I mean, he was just boys loved him. Thirteen to sixteen year old boys. Yeah. Because yeah. he was doing, he was screaming right. and swearing. It, it, it seemed yeah. so, pri- it was primal. It was very really, primal. Really primal. Yeah. And, and like when you talk about like my sort of thing with the, you know, rapid fire tags and punchlines and uh-huh. things like that, I feel like, you know, guys like him are, because he just had this ability to, to once he hit that sort of wave, that crest at the top of his, like with his punchline and just rode it yep. and was just, and it was screaming because the scream voice that he had is kind of like, you know, I mean, like when people say I have a funny voice, you know, it's kind of like what I've been able to use as my instrument to sort of, you know, like I said, synthesize some funny that just, you know, comes out rapid. Plus, if we hear you, we know it's you. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's Caparulo. You just know because the voice. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I just I uh, I love Sam Kinison. I was a I was a big uh, uh, at the same time. I know they hated each other, but Dice Clay, too, because Andrew Dice Clay was huge. In you know eighty nine ninety yeah. you know around then and uh, you're still a teenage boy at this point. Of course, I was yeah. a target audience right there. I mean, yeah, yeah it was uh, you know and and so I was I, I big fan of him and then Deaf Comedy Jam came out around then, oh, so yeah. I kept seeing you know guys like Eddie Griffin and and uh, you know Chris Rock and uh, Martin Lawrence was the host. And it was like these guys were it's a great so time for comedy, funny, yeah. And yeah. it was just like it just watching these guys and it was just you know. I mean, because I wasn't like, you know, I, I, by then I had pretty much accepted that I wasn't going to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, watching these guys be able to do. Did you, wait, did, did you try? I, uh, you played yeah, sports? I, mean, I, I tried. I mean, by the end of middle school, I was pretty much a given that I wasn't going to be in any organized sports. Okay. So I, uh, I mean, I, I was, I, I, I was a big football fan as a kid. My mom always forgot to get the permission slips because I was so small. Um, I, I didn't grow into my fat self till I was 30, but I, uh, oh, okay. um, you were a little guy. I, I was always very, very small. Yeah. And, uh, and then same thing, like I fell in love with basketball around fifth grade and you know, I, you're in Ohio, I, man. I, no yeah, way. It wasn't happening. Uh-uh. And, uh, so, 
I uh, <laughs> right. I, I played four years of organized basketball. It was literally the last minute of our last game. I was in during garbage time that yeah. I got a layup, and it was the only time. I Did you make it? Four years, yeah. Well, good yeah, for you. Was, so I averaged a half a point a year, <laughs> but I. Uh, um, but I, I, you know, I was, uh, but I, then I got into like martial arts early in high school. It's just, you know, See, I told like, you, you could, you'd make me sit, shut up at the club. You got that look about you. That's <laughs> not on purpose, yeah. but, I, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, so I, I, but like I said, it was just by the, you know, the time I was in high school, I was like watching, uh, those guys like on Def Jam and things like that. Remember they used to have like HBO's half hour comedy hour yep. every month. They'd have a new yep. guy. And, uh, um, you know, just watch. Was Rodney's thing still on or was that over with by then? Rodney Dangerfield special. Yeah, his young that comedians. A, that was the first place I saw Dice. Yeah. You know, cause I remember my, my, we didn't have HBO, like, cause my parents wouldn't pay for it at the time. And my, one of my best friends, he was one of those, it was one of those households that, like, they didn't have milk. <laughs> but they had HBO, they had Showtime, <laughs> Cinemax, and they're uh, climbing the right. pole. And uh, they, but they had. Uh, I remember he he had he like taped the uh, Dangerfield special. And we I think Kinnison came off over of that and over. Too. He was on the one before that. Yeah, and I hadn't seen that one until later. I, I've seen it since, but yeah. uh, the first time I saw Kinnison was actually his uh, his first full on HBO special. Okay, and uh, yeah, I um, saw him on tour with Polly Shore. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, because he he used Peak to take Paulie with him. Yeah. Nineteen ninety hairbands yeah. and mm-hmm. that yeah. comedy man. Yeah, and and just you know, I, the first yeah, the first time I saw Kenderson was that uh, that first special where he did uh, like at the end of it he did the piano thing uh-huh. where he was playing the piano. It was like builds up this whole love story and I want to sing this song and then just starts just rips her apart. Yeah. It, and it was just uh, it was so funny, especially to a you know to a fourteen year old kid. You know what I'm I mean, saying was he was hilarious. like the kiss of comedy. Of course, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, so and dice I, too, I, and dice was. I mean, they were just—they were really, yeah. It was that, and I remember at that age when all the people were complaining about dice and women's groups and things like that. Yeah, I had no frame of reference because I was just like, "What? It's just a joke. Who cares?" Sure. But later on, I realized, like, ah, yeah, I can see how people would have a now problem you get with that. that. Yeah. yeah, it's like, but you know. It, I wrote a uh, rhyme for him and submitted it through his record company. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because we were I was in music radio. So we got serviced with the Andrew Dice Clay album like we could have ever played it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Because the whole thing was beeped. Right, uh, right. But I love the nursery rhymes. Yeah, of course. So I wrote one of those for him, and I sent it to through the label to his manager, and I got a polite note back saying, uh, thank you, but no thank you. Right, right, right. You know? right. But I thought it was pretty good. It was Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Mm-hmm. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men said, hey, who wants an omelet <laughs> with an F-bomb in the middle? Right? Right. It was I, too cerebral. Uh, yeah, you had to yeah, think right, about right, that. Right. Wait a minute. It's an egg. It got cooked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah he, uh, this is why well, actually, we do radio, John. For, for, for me, I, uh, funny enough, like, when Dice had, uh, I think it was actually his first album, the first, the, the black one that just said Dice. Dice, on it. yes. Yeah. I think it was that one. I don't think it was the next one, The Day the Laughter Died, because I remember I got that, like, you know, I don't know why the record store sold these things to me. I was only just 15 or sure. whatever, but. Probably um, got some cigarettes too. Yeah, I don't know, but they, they, um, I remember I, I actually joined his fan club. I didn't even know he had a fan club. Right. It was on the inside cover of the thing. And I, and see, he didn't even know either. Cause years later, I met him. You know, I was, it was, I think it was when I was still a a doorman at the store, you know, and I, um, you know, and my mom sent it to me. Like she said, whatever. It was like a, they sent you a letter, you know, thank you for joining the Andrew Dice Clay fan club. And there was probably a sticker and a button or some, something like that. Cause I remember like whatever it was. Uh, you know, my mom sent it out to me in LA and I, I took it over to him and I showed it to him at the comedy store and he laughed and he's like, 
I've never seen this. He's like, this looks like something, probably my buddies or something just put that in there to make themselves some money. He's like, so he signed it. He's like, we took a picture together and he signed it. It's like, you know, uh, like, uh, dear John, thanks for buying things. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, I mean, because he's actually a really nice guy. But he didn't know that that even existed. At all. Wow. He had no idea. And uh, yeah, I probably sent in. I, you know, ten or fifteen dollars to join the club, and yeah, who yeah, knows? Who got no that idea money. what I got out of that. But I actually went. So he was the first actually live uh, concert I went to too. Like I went saw him. I was. Uh, it was also when I was fifteen. He performed at uh, an amphitheater in Pittsburgh. Okay, and uh, um, you know, I I ended up. I had a, my sister and her uh, uh, boyfriend at the at the time. They you know they were older, so they I was able to go with them. And uh, yeah, it yeah. was uh, it, it was awesome. Watch, I mean, because we. We didn't have seats up close. We were kind of far back, and he's at an amphitheater doing comedy. It was pretty. Uh, and that's before they had the big, huge screen, so yeah. he looked like an ant. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, he did. I mean, and it was Andrew it was Dice a, Ant. Yeah. yeah now you wearing the Indians. Sorry, Guardians it's cap. A, it's my own hat. Actually, it's a it's oh. a it's oh. a cap hat. Yeah. I oh, just, a I cap just, cap. I borrowed the the a C that looks like. There's, it does. Uh, so I thought it was the Guardians. Okay, because I wanted to ask you about that. How it, do you? It is. It, it's uh. I used to wear Indians hats a lot. Uh. Because they used to have the one with the white C. Yeah. And uh, um, they don't, I don't think they have that one anymore because I was trying to buy new ones. It's red now. And yeah, yeah. They, they always had the red one, but it was like they always, they, I couldn't find the white C anymore. So we just started making them and the cap, yeah, cap. We, they, we sell them on the website and stuff because they actually have my logo. How on much the are they? And they're, they're, I, I, you have to ask my wife. I think they're like 30 bucks or There's something. There's a kid listening right now who's the same as you were with the <laughs> Andrew. Andrew Dice Clay fan club that wants a cap cap. <laughs> well, I'm at least aware of that. I'll yeah, give you we, 10 we bucks sell, for that one. If we, you... sell, we sell my hat. We sell my comic books. We sell. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about the comic like that, books. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the Vegas residency. I want to talk to you about being married and baby and all of that. Of course. But we got to take a, a break and then we'll come back. You got time though? Yeah. yeah all right. Yeah, good. Yeah. John Caparolo's here. Uh, sorry for the weirdness at the beginning of the show. We're going to get. <laughs> Get the stupid uh, headphone thing fixed, hopefully. And we're going to take a break. We'll be right back here. Hi there. This is Kirby Schofield of Schofield Realty here in Las Vegas. Real estate is always changing. Be it a buyer's market, a seller's market. At Schofield Realty, it's your market. Buying or selling, we have the team and the tools to work the market so it works for you. We are excited that we're on the Wayne Coy Show. Our results blessed us with the Zillow Flex Partnership roughly about two years ago due to our consistent conversion and customer service scores with conversion that means we can close and with our customer service scores you know you're going to get the best service possible we're always looking for agents led by mentorship resources and experience we are your guide find us kirby4u.com that's k-i-r-b-y the number four the letter u.com kirby4u.com or call 702-766-9538 again 702-766-9538 Hey, listen to this. Share Life Vacations has a special treat for you. It's a free three-day, two-night getaway to either magical Orlando or exciting Las Vegas. It's your choice. Absolutely no strings attached. Share Life will also include a second vacation to your choice of over 30 additional popular resort destinations. Now, we can't give everyone a fantastic prize package like this, so to make it fair, we're going to ask you a trivia question. You get it right, you'll win it all. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. 
This movie is about a British Secret Service agent who is frozen in time in the 1960s. Was that movie Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery? Press 1. Diamonds are forever. Press 2. Lethal weapon. Press 3. Got it? Well, then call 855-301-8586. 855-301-8586. That's 855-301-8586. My name is Michael Stefanski, and I am the owner and founder of Sin City Custom Suits. Custom clothing concierge. I help gentlemen get into clothes that fit them like they're supposed to that they pick out themselves and we craft together. 600 different suit fabrics to pick from, about 40 measurements to make sure the suit's gonna fit you right. Then we decide, do you want two buttons on the front, three buttons on the front, how many on the sleeve, do you want like a custom photo lining for the inside of your jacket, any number of different things that you can think of. This is all about what do you want? And and when you ask guys, what do you want? They don't know because they've never given been given the option before because I help men look as absolute best as they can. It's transforming people's lives. If you've never had a suit that fits you right, you have no idea how much confidence it gives you. That's the important part. 702-767-2478. Instagram at custom suit guy, SinCityCustomSuits.com. Hi, I'm Sheldon, the owner of Solid Motor Cars. I've spent over 30 years in the retail car business. It is all about the vehicles, but more than that, it's about the people. And my team and I are proud to bring to you what we believe is the finest experience in buying a pre-owned car. With great credit, we can get super low interest rates. But if you've had some challenges, we're experts in that field, and we can get almost anybody approved. Come down to Solid Motor Cars and take a look at our vehicles. They come with a six-month, 6,000-mile warranty. So when you get a vehicle from Solid Motor Cars, you can feel confident that that vehicle is a quality, properly reconditioned vehicle that will serve you and your family for years to come. So for all your automotive needs, whether it's a new car, truck, or SUV, or if it's repairs, service, and maintenance, solid wheels, solid deals, solid people. Coming down to meet the crew, my name's Sheldon. I'm the owner here. I'd love to help you any way that I can. 3024 East Fremont Street, 702-820-1444. Now, back to the Wayne Coy Show. Well, well, well. John Caparulo, Cap, our guest here for the hour, and we've almost burned through the entire hour, and I got like 80 million questions left. We might have to, we might have to do a two-parter now. You're probably all hip to that now because you're, you're a podcast guy, right? I, well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, everybody is to some degree, I guess, these days, right? Right. So how do you feel about that? I mean, do you like it? Uh, yeah, it's it's all right. It's, um, you know, I've, I've done a few, like, uh, different iterations of podcast attempts and things like that. Um, but I never really felt like I, um, um, you know, found the right sort of, I don't know. It, it, I, I just never felt like I did something that stood out from anything else that anybody else did. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, like we were talking about the comic book. I was trying to work on an animated series and stuff like that for a while. And I just always felt like doing a podcast or I was just, I'd kind of just be following the herd. Were you so, doing it just to do it? Yeah, I, I felt like I was in some in some ways, but uh, blatheria. You know, but recently, yeah, uh, <laughs> one of the other uh, comedians uh, uh, at uh, I go to I started going to Wise Guys about a year ago uh, here in Vegas to to uh, shoot my like little caplets things like that, and also work on some you know work on some some stand up that wasn't you know at a when I wasn't headlining or things like that I just wanted to be back in a lineup of comics again and really uh, feel like I was working out again yeah because it really does 
that really matters a lot to kind of just get yourself back into the because I felt like I, I stopped writing as much, like especially once I did the, the residency show at Harris and stuff like that. I was doing at one point, 2019, I was doing six nights a week with no opener. And Oof. I'm like, I, you know, and these are just, 75 minute sets, right? Yeah, about 65. Yeah, okay. but it's, it's a while. And it's and I just felt like I had gotten into sort of a Groundhog Day thing where I just didn't. I just, I just wasn't, uh, my, my, I guess the inspiration to write and things like that were just kind of, uh, they kind of got sort of dulled, I guess. And I, I wasn't writing and working on as much stuff in that format and wasn't doing anything else really as far as shows. I was doing six nights a week. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, it was good for me, like after, you know, all the crap that with COVID and everything like that, that kind of, you know, scattered everybody's you know business to the wind uh, you know when we started to regroup and everything i just i i really felt like it was really helpful for me and still is to go to a place like wise guys because it's the only freestanding comedy club in vegas where it's not a casino or anything like that right. and there you know it's it i was just able to go there and feel like I, like i did at the comedy store you know working out comedy you know just doing a new set do of, you always headline you know like 10 minutes or whatever at the at wise guys yeah no, no, this no. is what I'm talking about, like, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Well, not Tuesdays now because I go to the Kimmel Club, but uh, uh, Wednesdays I go into Wise Guys and, you know, still run a, like, a, you know, eight to ten minute set of just some whatever, some new stuff, some other stuff that I'm trying to work on. And, so the yeah. need to do that doesn't go away. No, no matter, it, no matter it doesn't go It can't go away. How successful you get. Probably you don't stay that successful if you... Stop doing. No, that. I. You know when I was uh, when I was a doorman at the store, and I used to watch guys like you know uh, like Chris Rock. Uh, yeah, I remember watching Chris Rock. We were talking about this on another uh, thing that I I did recently, where we were like when Chris Rock got his first chance to host the Oscars. Yeah, and he, you know he had to, to begin that night with a, he had an eleven minute set that he had to get worked on for that show. And we all at the comedy store watched him come in night after night after night working on that set. On that set. And this is a guy who's been, who's reached the pinnacle of success and said, you yes. can't really get much better than Chris Rock's career. Correct. And, uh, so he really didn't need to do any better than he already did, but he was still, he still had that hunger and he still would come in otherwise, but it was just watching him craft that set together, it was really impressive yeah. for a lot of us, like just young comics, old comics, whoever, just to watch a guy like that who was a master at it be able to still have that sort of drive. And, uh, but it's, it, it, yeah, it's the same for me where it's like, I need to still feel like I'm in that mix and, and putting my comedy in a lineup, you know, of other comics just to, you know, stay sharp and to still keep myself creating and writing so i don't stagnate you know because so. it would be easy to do that right it's very easy to do that of i mean is, you've yeah. achieved quite a bit of success so tell me about the uh <laughs> the comic book because that uh, <laughs> that's crazy yeah um well i you know for me it was like uh, the original idea came up because i i uh i wanted to do i've always loved animated shows i can't draw which makes that really difficult but i uh, <laughs> um i i just i love like the simpsons and uh, Family Guy and, and South Park and, you know, all those like King of the Hill and all those like really sure. funny, uh, animated shows. Cause I feel like you can take the comedy and go wherever you want to with it. Like you can, like I love exaggerating things and making things just really ridiculous. And that's what you can do on an animated show. And I, uh, you know, and at the same time, my wife had got me to watch, uh, Louie's show on FX. And, uh, yeah, this is about 10 years ago, I guess. So, and, uh, you know, 
I just thought, man, that was, I was just so impressed because I'd never watched live action shows at all. Right. I was just so impressed with how he was able to take like, cause I, you know, I went through development and things like that at Fox and they were trying to make shows out of my stand up and, you know, it was always like, it just always felt really contrived because really, it was like never accurate. Everybody loves Raymond. Right. Yes. Because I mean, and sometimes like in that situation, it worked, right. of course. But it's like, for me, you know, they were trying to basically take, you know, I used to do a bit about working at a golf course and like they would try to, they were trying to take that and turn that into a show. But the thing is they were trying, they were adding characters that weren't really part of my life, anything like that. So it never really felt organic and we never even shot a pilot. That's how. I think that's what home improvement started off doing. Right. Tim Allen put his foot down and said, this doesn't expand beyond this because you're taking me too far away right. from my comedy. Right. And, and yeah. you know, like, or like Roseanne, like she was able to, yep. I mean, same thing where it was like she was able to capture her stand up like that. And I, for me, it just didn't, none of it felt like right. And so then at, years later, I was just like, you know, I just, it finally hit me where I'm like, I would, I really want to do, a, you know, a cartoon. And I wanted to, so my idea, and it still is, like, I still would love to do it, but I, I mean, the I, it, the show is called Cartoon Comic. Basically, I wanted to turn myself into a cartoon where it was like, I, you know, put myself as, you know, as the main character, you know, uh, and my main character, he's a stand-up, he's a comedian, and uh, he does, you know, like, so then I could basically do all my, you know, all my stand-up would basically be animated, you know, so like, I could record a show and then we'd make an animated version of it and, you know, we could end up putting out specials and things like that. And, you know, me on TV would basically be a cartoon character. Yeah. And, and you know, where cartoon characters are great because they're Teflon. They can do so much. Because, I mean, as, as you know, political correctness and things like that, we're starting to, you know, eat in on and still are eating their way into a lot of our, uh, you know, a lot of the areas we can go into as comedians. They'll cancel you, man. Cartoon or they'll try. Cartoon character can get away with a lot more and yeah. can, can push the envelope a lot more. And... I just I thought that would be such a great way to go as you know with my comedy. So that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to make a, a, an animated series, uh, uh, you know, and I was writing scripts and things like that, trying to get, you know, trying to get different people to uh, to to you know help me animation houses things like that. And in that process, a friend of mine was like, "Why don't you uh, write it as a comic book?" And then you know, in the meantime, until we can maybe get the animated series going. So. I, I wrote, I wrote five issues of a comic book uh, um, a, a, that that I you know like sell after shows or on my website, which you know they're they're okay, you know they're they're pretty. Funny, I would imagine I there'd be a whole <laughs> section of your fans that just dig that completely because they're into comic books, right? I, I mean, you know the ones the ones that like to read, I guess, <laughs> which I can understand not one to, but uh, I you know it was uh, it, it was cool because it was you know I basically made it you know a little. Uh, um, you know, it, it, stories basically, you know, around me, my wife, my daughter, our two talking dogs. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was fun. I, I think that looking back, cause I haven't written another issue in a few years now. And, uh, I feel like, um, you got a lot I, of material back into it. I feel like I might sort of rearrange the approach. So I don't know. I, I, I still want the idea of doing an animated show and still doing the comic book still interests me. I just, I think I want to um, adjust my approach on it. Maybe okay. Bit, so. And you're, uh, as far as your residency here, you got, we are talking about that. You got coveted out of that, just yeah, like I did my yeah, radio gig. Yeah, yeah. Um, coming back though, there was nothing going to keep you away from it as soon as you had the opera opportunity to do it. But the residency that you had, mm-hmm. you didn't have that anymore. Right. So, 
how are you approaching now what you're doing at Kimmel's? Well, yeah, it's it's great the way it is at Kimmel's. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, because I, I just, I do one, I do one Thursday a month. I do every Tuesday at 930. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's awesome because it's like, I mean, that club sort of has, you know, it has built in notoriety anyway because it's a Kimmel club. And right. then, um, you know, so that it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, the, uh, the number of people we have coming in is really great compared to, you know, what I had when I was doing the Harris thing, because I, you know, we we did okay. We were doing better. We were, I think we were doing, on our way to doing something pretty good and we, when COVID hit. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a letdown that we were, we almost got to where we wanted to be. I said it, but, the same thing. I'm yeah. like, man, I'm just getting this. Yeah. So, and then boom. But but with the Kimmel thing, it's just, it's been great because it's like, you know, I, I do, I do, uh, you know, every Tuesday night and then I go on the road. You know, over the weekend, and uh, it's it's, uh, it's perfect. It's been yeah, it's really it's a great setup. Because so, yeah. I mean, I would imagine. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that the bigger road money is on the weekends. Absolutely, yeah. Of if course. You, now, do you do the thing where you go in and you do like a two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, yeah, and then yeah. one usually on Sunday? Like, usually, it's like one Thursday and then two Friday, two Saturday, or Oof. sometimes just Friday, Saturday. Which, okay. Yes, but uh, but yeah, so it's a perfect setup for me. Yeah, I've always been. Uh, I don't know if the word is perplexed by, but just, I guess, uh, curious about how it is that when you're really, you're on stage for hour, hour and a half a night, mm-hmm. right? Um, the rest of the day. Okay. Okay. What are you doing? Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of comics who would answer that and say, well, I watch a lot of TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, but you're, you're, in a, you're in Omaha and you're doing the funny bone. What do you do the rest so you're of the talking day? About when I'm on the road, yeah, when you're when on the I'm road, on the road I, you know, I really, um, I, I just, uh, I, I feel like I just, I, I store myself in the hotel room. It's like I just basically, it's like, uh, it's just like my little, uh, you know, cave. Just my, yeah, it is. Like I really don't do anything when I'm on the road because I never. I'm always like trying to catch up on sleep when I get there, and mm-hmm. then uh, plus I play, you know, I play a lot of video games on my iPad. And, uh, like, <laughs> I'm in a league on Madden. A so I, I, so I'm like, say, so, you know, like, I'm just doing, that's sort of like, it's my golf. You know, like a sure. lot of guys play golf. I played Madden on, uh, on, on my iPad. So it's I, sick now. That, that now you, some, you can it, do like the all time teams. You can bring in people from 25 years ago. You're building, yeah. You're you building, draft yeah, your own team. My, my team's pretty sweet. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's a, but that's what I mean. Like, you know, you're building your team constantly and you're, and you're spending the money to build your team too, which is great for them. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, but you know, and then you're in a league with, uh, you know, 15 other guys and you play another league every day. So sure. you have a matchup and, you know, we're, we're always somewhere in the top 25 is usually where we're ranked. So you just so answered my question, which is you really don't do a whole lot, really. I don't do much yeah. at all. I mean, and, and it's, it's basically the same at home. I mean, I just, you know, I like to stay, as much as I can stay in the house. I'm happy. Uh-huh. I go do my shows. How's Jamie with I that? I stop it. She's great with it now because we, you know, she, uh, you know, especially now that like because the first couple of years we had our daughter and our daughter uh, needed my wife to live as in because <laughs> she breastfed to do everything. So yeah. yeah, I mean, once that ended, it was like it became you know really easy to fifty fifty parent. So you know, my wife can go do her stuff that she wants to go do, whether it's go do her. Pilates or rider horse or anything like that. That's five for it. And then, you know, she has a horse. Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, she, we, we, we have a horse. She you, has a horse. Do you visit horse, the horse? Yes. 
I visit him. I, she's always mad that I don't want to ride him, but I'm like, me and him are cool with me on the ground. You're good at I that. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to, you know, he doesn't need my fat butt on his back. He's fine. And uh, so he's, we're, he we're, thanks you. Yeah, man, we're cool like that. So, yeah, we have, and plus we have enough animals at home to take care of too. Oh, so, okay. I, uh, I, yeah, I just basically, I love, uh, my ideal day is, you know, I'm hanging out with my daughter. We, you know, we're playing video games and watching TV and we have a good time. How old is she now? She's seven. Seven years old. Yeah. Good being a dad, huh? It's the best thing in the world. Hey, John, will you come back? Because this went by way too quick for me. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I would love to have you back. And the fact that you're you're here Tuesday nights. Yeah. At yeah, Tuesday Kimmel's. nights at 930. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club. Come on down. Uh, um, we have, uh, I usually have a couple of, uh, I have Brian uh, with my co-host on Blatheria. And uh, Killing Crickets is also a podcast is coming out soon. But uh yeah, he's uh, he's with me. We usually, have another uh, comic in the middle of us, and uh, and then one Thursday a month also at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club. Awesome! Come, uh, come check us out, man. We have a great show. And the website, uh, JohnCaparulo.com. Okay, and you can find him everywhere at John, John Caparulo. If you can spell John Caparulo, you're good. You'll get it. <laughs> I got to get a cap cap too, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you, John Caparulo. Next hour, you might have missed it Friday. We had a, a good Friday conversation with Gary Lewis, Jerry Lewis's son, who had quite a career on his own as, uh, you know, Lead Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Place. So we'll uh, we'll get you that coming up. Buckle up. Let's go for a ride. It's the Wayne Coy Show. Hey, hey, if you're listening on Friday, you caught a great interview. I really enjoyed doing it, too. With Gary Lewis, Jerry Lewis's son, uh, who had quite a career back in the 60s. In fact, I was able to sort of look up the success chart-wise, and I guess I didn't know this, but he was the only artist in the 60s, besides the Beatles, to have six consecutive top 10 songs in the 60s. That's crazy. And in case you're wondering, like, what those songs sounded like, I think we can tell you. The stars get in your eyes, just save your heart for me. Gary Lewis and his Playboys will be at the Golden Nugget coming up on the 21st. And we had a wonderful conversation with Gary. And uh, by demand, uh, you've asked to, some people just only caught a little bit of it and said, could you please replay it? And we're happy to oblige. So here you go. The stars get in your eyes, just save your heart for me. Well, there's hits, and then there's hits. There's gold, and then there's platinum. And in this case, there's a whole lot of platinum. I can imagine it's on the walls. I don't know. I've never been to his house. Gary Lewis is our guest from Gary <laughs> Lewis and the Playboys. Do you have all the uh, you know the platinum albums hanging on the wall? I do. I've got them all up there. As a matter of fact, I have many copies of each one of them because over the years they have resold a million. And so the, the record company sends me duplicates and says, Oh, here's for your second million. Okay. Your third million. You know, so it's, it's great. So every time you get a million, you get a new plaque. Is that the way that works? 
Right. Wow. I want to take you back to 65. So you're a year into Beatlemania at that point. Were you influenced by the Fab Four a year after they got here? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I was influenced by it uh, when I when I heard "I Want to Hold Your Hand" on the radio when that first came out. Um, because I I was actually uh, I put the original band together in 1964 January. You know, and, you know, we had to do all the local gigs and the sororities and fraternity parties and all that stuff for about a year. And and then that's when we got our break. You know, so basically you were a month into doing your thing and then the Beatles show up. Did you stop immediately and say, okay, guys, we're on hold. We need three months to grow our hair out. (laughs) No, I was still living home. And my mom said don't you don't you grow your hair like those damn beetles yeah because they, they and it's crazy now when you look at them you're like okay that was long hair really but at the time it, it, right it was yeah i mean now uh, isn't it weird yeah because i've seen pictures of you sort of uh you know really early on when you were uh just putting the band together and your hair wasn't that long but then you can see that you know obviously mom must have looked the other way because she lets you sneak it out a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah, well, by that time I was I was out of the house. Right, and then unfortunately you had to cut it because you had to go into the army. But we'll we'll get to that in just a minute. But Gary, I want to take sure. you back to that when you first heard the Beatles on the radio, and of course you already had your band. Did you know yep. then? Did you say to your mom? Did you say to Patty Palmer, "Hey, we're gonna go do what those guys are doing"? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, uh, I I just loved. It. I loved the Beatles. I loved the the sound they had. I loved the the songs that they wrote. Um, and I said, "Yeah, this is what I want to do." Um, so I left Theater Arts College. You know, I I didn't like doing Greek tragedy plays uh, in leotards and tights. <laughs> so I I played rock and roll. Yeah, I think you you made the better choice. I think I mean looking back on that, yeah. <laughs> Although you had the legs for it, you probably you were kind of a thin guy, so you could have pulled that off, probably. Well, yeah, I kind of looked like a bird walking around on stage. <laughs> you know what? I I was struck later on uh, by you on the Ed Sullivan show. I thought, well, you you kind of had a Buddy Holly vibe, but that was later. That's when you you started being up front and playing guitar. A lot of people don't right. realize this, but at the beginning, uh, you were the drummer. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And I, I drummed, uh, through the, uh, our fourth single. And then I realized, you know, I can't see any of the people in the audience. They can't see me because of all the symbols. And I'm having to do all the lead singing too. You know, so I, I, I hired a drummer and I came out and played guitar. And, uh, that was like 60. 66 and uh so that's what i've been doing ever since now i heard and you can tell me if this is wrong or not but i heard you got you were you were like barely out of junior high when you were gifted with your first drum set how did they know you wanted to play drums or had you made that clear to them already um no no they just they my my folks just bought me a drum set uh when I when it was when I was actually five years old, 
and I didn't care about it at all until I was about 12. Ah. So that's, that's when I, that's when I started playing them, you know, but they were, they were always there. Uh, I think my dad probably got it because he wanted to play some drums. Sure. Now, um, were these, yeah, were these you know, regulation size drums or were they five year old yeah. size drums? No. <laughs> Huh. No, they were regular sized drums. Okay, well maybe that's and why, why was, it took you a minute. You had to be tall enough to climb up on the stool. Well, yeah, you know, and plus I I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't I didn't know anything, you know. Hey, I heard Gary that you were uh, a down the street neighbor from a pretty successful music guy by the name of Snuff Garrett, and that uh, he was your neighbor, but he had no idea who you were. Is that true? Um, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know about that. Uh, I just know that, uh, when we were playing out at Disneyland in California, uh, Snuffy Garrett and his family were out at the park and they, they, he heard us play. And then he came backstage, gave me his card. He said, I'm, I'm a producer at Liberty Records and I'd like to talk to you about doing some recording. And, uh, you know, isn't that the way everybody wishes it would happen? Yeah, it was like totally out of a movie. I thought you were making it up. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's that's exactly how it is, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, that's how it happened. And and that's the first time I met Snuffy Garrett. He may have lived around the corner, you know, before all that, but I didn't I didn't know it. Yeah, I think he was like a DJ in Texas and very instrumental. And yeah. The, you know, we mentioned Buddy Holly. I think he was very close with Buddy. And then uh, he just started doing more production work than he was doing radio and eventually moved from Texas out to California. And, you know, they loaded that's up the right. truck and moved to Beverly or, in your case, Bel Air. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Yeah, that's exactly what happened, right? He was uh, from Lubbock. Yes. All right. So tell us about uh, the first hit, the big one. I mean, you you didn't mess around like it, a lot of artists. You know, they it's hit and miss. They might have five, six singles before they finally connect. In your case, uh, you came out of the shoot with a number one single that never happens ever. Ah, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, who knew? I mean, if you, nobody knows if it's going to be a hit or not, nobody knows if their song is going to make it or not. You know, it was just, uh, you know, we kept watching it. It kept climbing Billboard and Cashbox charts. Uh, finally, it got to number one, and we were, we were so ecstatically excited that uh, that's when Snuffy Garrett said, hey, guys, don't get too thrilled right off the bat here because do you realize how many one-hit artists there are in the world? He says we got to concentrate on number two and number three, sure. and then we could we could be on our way. So we settled right down and concentrated on getting Count Me In and Save Your Heart for Me. Right. So that that's uh, I guess that's a good point you bring up. Is you're right. It's as hard as it is to have your first single go to number one, whether it was your first single or your fifth. If you get to that place, then then the real hard work comes in because you got to follow that up. Or you become right. known as a one-hit wonder, but uh, exactly. I want to I want to focus on this diamond ring because that's the one that puts you on the map. Who wrote the song? What were the conditions that circumstances that surrounded you recording it? Um, Al Cooper wrote the song, 
when he was playing with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Wow. And uh, he he originally offered it to the Drifters. He thought the Drifters would, you know, he wanted to see the Drifters do it, but they said it, they didn't like it, and they turned it down. And then Snuffy Garrett said uh, that he offered it to uh, Bobby V, and Bobby V said, no, I, no, I don't want to do that. So then Snuffy came to me and said, listen, Drifters and Bobby V turned it down. Uh, what do you think? And, I, and I'm thinking, well, geez, if they turned it down, maybe it's not much of a hit. You know, that's what I thought. But I was excited about this being our first record, going into the studio. So I, I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. And uh, that's that's how that happened. Now, and your band was, uh, these were your buddies, right? These are the, the kind of the kids you palled around with. Yeah, yeah, classmates um, from that theater arts college I was going to, uh, you know, out in Pasadena, California. And at the time, I know that it was commonplace, no matter really who you were, to accentuate recordings with, uh, you know, acts like the Wrecking Crew that were out there that could jump on anybody's session and, and give them that little extra extra. Did did you did they use any outside musicians or are we hearing you and your band and that's it? Me and the Playboys played on every track that we ever did. Wow. So, you, know, you know, the only time they brought in a Wrecking Crew member was like one guy came in to either do a, a piano solo or or one guy came in to do a, a guitar lead. Um, but them as a group, the wrecking crew, they, they didn't, they didn't play on our records. You know what? That just made this whole thing even more incredible than it already is. So you're listening to the Wayne Coy show. Our guest, Gary Lewis, let's hear that first single that went all the way to number one.
Gary Lewis of the Playboys. Two weeks from tonight, you're going to be able to see them perform that song and all the rest of their big hits live at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas. It's an 8 p.m. show. Tickets are on sale at goldennugget.com and also at Ticketmaster. He's our guest here as well uh, this evening. And, Gary, first of all, thank you for taking the time. I, I know it's late. Oh, uh, sure. I, I mean, you know, you're, you're – we're keeping you up past your bedtime. So thank you for that. Appreciate that. I, I, I have to ask you because from what I've heard, and again, you know, you, you get the official bios and the Wikipedias and all of that. I've learned that yeah. half the time what you're reading isn't even true. So I got to always preface it by saying we hear, but you can maybe tell me right. the, the real story. So I heard that it took that song getting all the way to number one before your mom was like, okay, now we can tell dad. Exactly, because she financed the whole band from the very beginning, and you know all the equipment, the studio time, the rehearsal hall time, and and uh, you know the PA system, all kinds of stuff. So so she said, "Don't tell your father anything about this because if this project fails, I have to come up with an excuse about where this money went." Yeah, and I said, and, "Yeah, okay, I'll yeah, be quiet." I, I was going to say, "Not only were you okay with that, that probably meant good." I'm out of the doghouse if if it doesn't work, the pressure's off me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, yeah. So it was not. It was number one, and and then um, and it was safe to I, tell Dad. I, I told him. I told him, and uh, he said, "When did you do this?" I, you know, and I was. I knew I was safe because he never listened to rock and roll stations, right? And he wasn't going to put two and two together. Now, I know you started off just being Gary and the Playboys and for obvious reasons, but then at what point right. did you say, okay, I'm comfortable enough in my skin? Was it after your dad knew? Oh, by the way, I think we're 17 minutes into the interview. We have yet to mention the fact that, uh, Gary, your dad, uh, kind of did okay for himself. His name is Jerry Lewis and, uh, he, right. he, he had a heck of a career. So, at this point, did you go, okay, it's all right. I, I've got out of dad's shadows. I've proven myself. I can go ahead and throw my name on and be proud of it. Well, no, it was my mom's idea to keep the last name off of the name because, uh, we were going down to audition with 10 other bands at uh, Disneyland for the summertime job of 1964. And, uh, she, she says, Nate, I'm sure you want to know if you're going to get this job because of the way you play and instead of having somebody find out who your dad is and them just giving you the job because of that. So, so we were just Gary and the playboys. And, uh, then, uh, when diamond ring was about number 20, still going up the charts, my mom says, okay, you can add your last name now. <laughs> it's safe. <laughs> that's a great yeah. story. That's a great story. So how was your dad, uh, as far as the reception goes? I mean, you told him and he, like you said, he would have never known cause he wasn't, he wasn't listening to KHJ. So he didn't know that, you know, here you were, you know, on the boss 30, you're climbing up the charts when he, when he finally figured it out, was he cool with it or was he like, Hey, you should have told oh, me. He, oh yeah. He was cool with it. He actually, one time I was, um, called by the TV show Hullabaloo to host to host one night and my dad asked me if he could go on with me. Wow. 
I said, sure, they'll probably love it, you know. So he asked you. He, yeah, he asked me. <laughs> I, I said, sure, you know, and I used to joke around with him all the time about the fact that, uh, well, Dad, can you sing rock and roll? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it didn't matter what he sang, but I, I always kid, kidded him about that. This might be a clip, Gary. Let's see if this is what we were talking about here. Thank you. Thank you very kindly, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Hullabaloo. And now for our first act, we got a real... I'm very sorry, Gary. <laughs> it was your line. It's been so long since I've worked with someone else before. Uh, no. That's my, my mistake, Dad. It was your line because uh, you've got to introduce myself in a playbook. Oh, yeah, that's right. Now, our... Uh, by the uh, way, very... Dad, uh, you know, all the groups at the beginning of the Hullabaloo show have all those beautiful models working with them in their numbers. Well, yeah. Uh, can we have them, too? Yeah. Models, my son... You're old enough now, and I picked them myself, especially for you. Real pretty girls. Oh, that yeah, they're real pretty. Hey, fellas, we got them. Hey! Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dad. You're first grade. Oh, that, 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 uh, that, well, that is it, because I just heard him say hullabaloo, so that, that's, that's it. Yeah, that is it, yeah. Wow. So uh, that had to be kind of a thrill for you. I mean, I, I know you had done things with your dad before on, on his show, but for him to be basically guesting in your moment for a change that had to be pretty cool right yeah it was it 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 definitely was you know and then um uh you know on that same show he had a spot by himself where he sang a song that um that he recorded you know maybe thinking well maybe he can get a hit breaking it on hullabaloo to, to the nation you know yeah well and uh but too bad, Dad. It didn't work. <laughs> Sorry, pops. It just didn't work out that way. Okay, and so then you follow up. You follow up this diamond ring with a, another song that almost went to the same position on the chart. So at this point, I feel like you know you're. It's starting to get good to you here. You know, uh, count me in. Gary Lewis and the Playboys. You're going to see them at the Golden Nugget. Grab your tickets now while you can. Literally two weeks from tonight, 8 o'clock show. Fantastic and chock full of hits like that one right there. Count me in. Now, after you'd had, Gary, the number one and the number two, you, did your head get a little bit big? I mean, was there any ego sort of seeping in at this point or no? Well, no, no, because um, Snuffy Garrett wouldn't let it happen, you know. Uh, he he said, remember what I told you, you know. I mean, it could stop at any time is what he said, you know. Sure. I mean, uh, it, it, it could just go away right now, you know. So always stay in the moment and try to get the next record. And and he was great for that because he, he not only knew how to pick hit songs, but he knew exactly when to put them out. 
Like if the Beatles had a new song out, he wouldn't put one of mine out. He'd wait for about three weeks, you know, until people got the initial uh, fanfare of the Beatles tune, and then uh, he'd put mine out, you know, and it's all timing too, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that would have been like avoiding shrapnel at that point because they, they literally had a hit like, you know, they had, in fact, it was, it was right around this time of year, 1964, that they had the top five positions in the chart, all five. So if, I know, isn't that great? Yeah, and if you're sitting there as another artist going, well, you know, I'm trying to pick my moment so that I don't get nudged away by the by the fabs, it, I would imagine that would have been pretty hard to do, being they were so prolific. I heard you doing a Beatles song. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, I think, one of the songs from Rubber Soul that I I heard you doing, and I thought, well, that, for your life. Yes, and I was thinking at the time, you know, if they hadn't. Uh, even though I don't even know if that was a single, I think it probably wasn't, but it was. No, it was an album tune. But they were the Beatles, so it was so high profile. But I remember thinking, boy, the song fits the artist, and it's too bad that, uh, you know, that that didn't get a chance to run up the charts. But was there a part of you that was like, look, I, I'm inspired by them. I, I love them and they're great, but I don't want to have anybody ever say, well, you wouldn't have been successful if it hadn't have been for those guys. No, I didn't think that way at all. I I always thought I I never thought there was competition. I think I always thought there was enough for everybody. There was enough for everybody, and people people would always uh, ask ask me, "Well, you know what? You and the Beach Boys are the only ones that could stay on the top ten with the entire British invasion." Uh, you know, and, and I, what do you think about the competition? They'd say there was no competition with me. It was like, do the best song you can do. Leave it to Snuffy Garrett to put it out whenever he thinks it's right. And it always worked. That's the thing about Snuffy Garrett is, is that he never had any failures. You know, that's true. And as you think about now, we have the, uh, we have the luxury of hindsight, but you, you think about the Beatles and how instrumental and important, uh, George Martin was to their success. And, oh, yeah. and you know what? You probably would have been successful no matter what, but it wasn't it great to have a guy like Snuffy on your side? Yes, absolutely. I didn't have to worry about a thing. You know, if he thought we should have gone on the road and visited visit all the distribution houses, the important big distribution houses, we'd go. Right. You know, and just, you know, just walk around, say, hi, how are you? You know, just meet everybody. And you like the new single? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, so, so we did all that stuff that, that he thought was important too. Right. And but you, I, I, I just, I loved it all. And you trusted him. That's, I think the, the main ingredient. I, I did. I absolutely did because I was only 19 at the time when I started. So what did I know? <laughs> right. I didn't know a thing. Well, what was crazy you know? is, uh, you know, that at the time when all those British songs were on the charts in 65 would have been like the, you know, the, the, the peak of the mountain. Uh, you yeah. had, you had save your heart for me and everybody loves a clown and you were just stride for stride with all those British guys. And I think when Count Me In was was uh, at its peak, I think it was the only song in the top 10 in May of 65 that wasn't from a British act. That's how strong the yeah. British invasion was. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, 
I, you know, Casey Kasem first told me that, that same thing, you know, he, he said, you know, sometimes your songs were the only ones in the top 10 and everything else was British. Yep. I said, well, cool. <laughs> yeah, keep them coming, man. So she's just my style is probably my favorite Gary Lewis and the Playboy song. And I try yeah, to figure out me, why the other too. day. It's such an earworm, you know what I mean? And and uh, there's the interplay with you guys vocally. We'll hear just a bit of that here if we can. Yeah. Playboys, and she's just my style. You had to have people saying, "Hey, you've been listening to a few Beach Boy songs because that that's got some of you those know, that, qualities there." Well, sure. that's exactly what the idea was. Um, our arranger was Leon Russell, and he said he said to me, "Hey, let's let's try to write a song along the Beach Boy lines, you know, with a lot of harmonies and various voices doing different things." And I said, well, great. So he and I and Snubby Garrett sat down and we wrote that tune. So, so good. I, I just, I could hear that. That's one of those songs that you could put it on a continuous loop and I could hear it 30 <laughs> times in a row, Gary, and it wouldn't bother me. I would just be like, yeah, keep it coming. It's just, it's so, oh, so you. good, man. And, you know, Thanks. I guess, you know, you, uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon how you look at it, you served our country, and that's a fortunate thing. Uh, unfor yeah. Unfortunately, it, it just happened to coincide with the time that you were literally just building and building and building to a musical, uh, you know, success peak. So it's the beginning of the year, 1967. We're getting ready to head into the summer of love and all that. And Vietnam called. How how did that go over with you personally? Forget your fans. Forget mom and dad. Forget Snuffy and anybody else who may yeah. may have you know been able to live a better life because of your success. How did you feel? Well, this right when I got my draft notice, the only thing that came to my mind was, well, Elvis did it. I'll do it, and that and that was all I said. Elvis went. I'm gonna go. Uh, I was always into the flag and the country and and all that stuff even before I went in you know uh I went to a military school uh when I was younger and I, I learned all the stuff about saluting officers and salute the flag and blah 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 basic foundation of how the military works so it was really easy for me and I I, I actually enjoyed it because I really didn't I didn't go into any kind of combat anywhere. Right. Well, and you were you were in Korea, correct? Yeah, I, I was. I went to South Korea. You know, um, I had a little asthma problem when I was younger, and 
the military said, well, asthma, you, you can't go to Vietnam. I said, oh, too bad. Doggone <laughs> it. I was really kind of hoping you'd put me on the next train. <laughs> yeah. So instead, you end up in Seoul, and you were over there for a couple of years. And in the meantime, the the mood of the country certainly changed. There was uh, anti-war sure protest did. songs everywhere, and uh, our our military guys were coming home, and they were treated like second-class citizens. And I know. It, it was not a popular war, Gary. So when you came back, did you feel like, hey, you know, what did I just do this for, and why is my country turning its back on me? No, I I. I never thought anything like that, you know. I I did I did my time, I did my service and um I, I never I never felt upset about what was happening. Um like oh the the country's ruined now and and look at what everybody's doing to these poor guys coming back and all that. I mean, I did feel that, but I wasn't going to I wasn't going to let my feelings be known. I, I just wanted to do my service and come home, and and, and that's what I did. You feel like the uh, the time that you were in the service helped you sort of mature and grow up a little bit? Oh, oh believe me. If you go in the service, you definitely grow up. You really grow up. <laughs> you got to put your, your big boy pants on when you're in the Army, that's for sure. Oh, that is so true, so true. It was cool. I mean, I didn't mind it at all. When you came, when you came back, they put out the first Gary Lewis album that wasn't billed as Gary Lewis and the Playboys during that time, right? That is correct. Was your band like, "Hey, whew, glad you're back. Let's go." Well, because when I got drafted, the band had to go find other jobs, so they were already pretty well well established into what they were doing and the groups they were they were in. Uh, so they didn't want to come back anyway. <laughs> feelings are mutual okay well that's hey that's rock and roll right every band you hear of they start off as best friends and then stuff happens it's usually the lead singer and the lead guitarist for whatever reason and probably well, gir probably girls or you know personal stuff yeah it was just what happened you know i mean uh, uh you know i i stayed friends with those guys a long time you well, know but it's just it was business you know and you took a little break, right? I mean, you, uh, and now I'm going into the early seventies here, but you, you sort yeah. of, you stopped for a minute and, uh, you were teaching kids how to play the drums like you. And, uh, Correct. and you connected I bought a music store. You bought your own music store because why not? And you connected with a guy who, unfortunately, I never got to work with, but I certainly got to work with his family. I was the manager of a group called the Cowsills and you and Billy, oh, yeah. you and Billy. Uh, formed a band called Medicine, and I, after I, I had right. heard that, I was like, "Well, I, gee, I wonder why that didn't work." Uh, probably because of Medicine. If we're talking about Billy Cowsill, there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, no, everybody that was in Medicine didn't have the right attitude. You know, they were they were just wanting to be the early seventies. Uh, just dirty looking people with hair just longer than anything and and attitudes of uh hey you you should hire us you know yeah and stuff like that uh, the attitudes were wrong to get backed by anybody you know 
you know, Billy, like you, had a pretty strong father in, in uh, Bud Council, and the two of them actually came to loggerheads to the point where Billy got kicked out of his own band. So when you were yeah. working with him, was he was he carrying around uh, a lot of uh, frustration because here he was main he was the Brian Wilson of the of the Cowsills. No offense to Bob or Paul or Susan or anybody, but yeah, yeah, Billy was the guy, and Dad basically said, you know, I think it was because he he would smoke some pot or something. His dad said, you know, you need to go, and then he got into an actual fight and and kicked him out of the band. Can you imagine that being kicked out of your your own family band? That's that's odd. Well, yeah. No, I I can't imagine that, but but yeah, he was he was uh, very frustrated. He, he always had that anger boiling boiling down deep, but it was okay, uh, you know. It was okay because so did I, you know. Yeah. I mean, I tr- I tried to get a get another hit record when I got out of the army, but these people named uh, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors. Uh, you know, they were popular now, and I'm thinking, well, where do I fit? And and Snuffy Garrett says to me, you know, it's too bad, but there's just no more market for you. You know, he was right for a minute, but I will tell you that the market for you has certainly reared its ugly head again. You had a chance to go out with uh, some of your peers in a tour that, funnily enough, now features the Cowsills, still going with the, with the tourists. Right, right. The Happy Together Tour, what was that like for you? That kicked the career back in you know so i've been working steady ever since 1985 ever since yeah in fact i yeah. I, re- I remember specifically that we had happy together one year for our local uh fair and festival and then the next year the monkeys got back together and and uh did their reunion in in 86 so yeah. You know, you were 20 years removed from your, your hits almost at that point, or you actually were. So what was your thought looking out at the audience? It's like, yeah, we've been through this together, haven't we? I mean, you, you guys were all the same well, that's age. A, that's exactly right. You know, uh, it, it ended up that, um, we were, we were playing to the same people that saw us in the sixties, but now this time they're bringing their kids and their kids are bringing their kids. So we started in, in 85 playing to like three generations already. And it was great because they were all mouthing the words right along with me. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's smiling. Right. You know, it was great. It was great. And you're looking at them going, buddy, you were an embryo. How would you even know the words to these songs? And <laughs> but you know, and their, their answer all the time was, well, my parents listened to you when I was young, you know, so that, and, and now, nowadays, I'm getting, oh, Gary, my grandmother loves you. Uh, <laughs> you probably feel like, uh, you probably feel like your, your dad when he was doing the, the telethons at this point where you're like, okay, really? Did you have to bring that up? <laughs> Did you have to talk about Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, you know, the great thing though, Doing what you love for so long uh, has has kept me in shape, and my health is real good. You know, because I'm 77 now. Wow! And I don't I don't plan to quit. I love it, and you're certainly not quitting because you're you got an appointment with us here, Gary. You got to be here in two weeks, so. <laughs> Uh, we are, I will be there. We are looking playing the golden nugget. Isn't it a great room? We just were talking to. It, it uh, is. We're just talking to somebody else. Uh, the band Sweet 
we had them on a couple nights ago and they're playing the golden uh-huh. nugget and and they were yeah. talking they were talking about the cool vibe of the room it's it's kind of old school vegas and it just feels very comfortable it, it is it really is and, and the people that run the whole place are, are terrific well you can get your tickets at goldennugget.com or on ticketmaster but please make sure you circle the date just two weeks from tonight the 21st, you can go see Gary Lewis and the Playboys at the Golden Nugget and all of those hits that we've been talking about and playing for you. It's even better when it's live, that's for sure. Gary, thank you so much for the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Gary Lewis on the Wayne Coy Show. We're going to go out the way we came in with a little bit of music. This, if, if Just My Style is my favorite, this one's probably yeah. my second favorite, okay? It's Save Your Heart right. for Me. Gary Lewis and the Playboys on the Wayne Coy Show. Walk along the lake with someone new. Have yourself a summer flame or two. But remember, I'm in love with you and save your heart for me. When the summer moon is on the rise and you're dancing under starlit skies, please don't let the stars get in your eyes. Just save your heart for me. This is Kirby Schofield, Schofield Realty here in Las Vegas. Real estate is always changing. Be it a buyer's market, a seller's market. At Schofield Realty, it's your market. Buying or selling, we have the team and the tools to work the market so it works for you. We are excited that we're on the Wayne Coy Show. Our results blessed us with the Zillow Flex Partnership roughly about two years ago due to our consistent conversion and customer service scores. With conversion, that means we can close. And with our customer service scores, you know you're going to get the best service possible. We're always looking for agents led by mentorship, resources, and experience. We are your guide. Find us. Kirby4u.com. That's K-I-R-B-Y, the number four, the letter U.com. Kirby4u.com or call 702-766-9538. Again, 702-766-9538. Hey, listen to this. Share Life Vacations has a special treat for you. It's a free three-day, two-night getaway to either magical Orlando or exciting Las Vegas. It's your choice. 
absolutely no strings attached. ShareLife will also include a second vacation to your choice of over 30 additional popular resort destinations. Now, we can't give everyone a fantastic prize package like this, so to make it fair, we're going to ask you a trivia question. You get it right, you'll win it all. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. This movie is about a British Secret Service agent who is frozen in time in the 1960s. Was that movie Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery? Press 1. Diamonds are forever. Press 2. Lethal weapon. Press 3. Got it? Well, then call 855-301-8586. 855-301-8586. That's 855-301-8586. My name is Michael Stefanski, and I am the owner and founder of Sin City Custom Suits. Custom clothing concierge. I help gentlemen get into clothes that fit them like they're supposed to that they pick out themselves and we craft together. 600 different suit fabrics to pick from, about 40 measurements to make sure the suit's gonna fit you right. Then we decide, do you want two buttons on the front, three buttons on the front, how many on the sleeve, do you want like a custom photo lining for the inside of your jacket, any number of different things that you can think of. This is all about what do you want? And and when you ask guys, what do you want? They don't know because they've never given been given the option before. Because I help men look as absolute best as they can. It's transforming people's lives. If you've never had a suit that fits you right, you have no idea how much confidence it gives you. That's the important part. 702-767-2478. Instagram at custom suit guy, sincitycustomsuits.com. Hi, I'm Sheldon, the owner of Solid Motor Cars. I've spent over 30 years in the retail car business. It is all about the vehicles, but more than that, it's about the people. And my team and I are proud to bring to you what we believe is the finest experience in buying a pre-owned car. With great credit, we can get super low interest rates. But if you've had some challenges, we're experts in that field, and we can get almost anybody approved. Come down to Solid Motor Cars and take a look at our vehicles. They come with a six-month, 6,000-mile warranty. So when you get a vehicle from Solid Motor Cars, you can feel confident that that vehicle is a quality, properly reconditioned vehicle that will serve you and your family for years to come. So for all your automotive needs, whether it's a new car, truck, or SUV, or if it's repairs, service, and maintenance, solid wheels, solid deals, solid people. Coming down to meet the crew, my name's Sheldon. I'm the owner here. I'd love to help you any way that I can. 3024 East Fremont Street, 702-820-1444. Live from Las Vegas, this is the Wayne Coy Show. Well, just about done with hour number two, and what a fun Monday it's been. It's fun day, not Monday. <laughs> thanks, thanks to Cap. John Caparulo, funny, funny dude and friend of the show. He will be back uh, because he's he can, because he's local. And we love the stories, man. What a, what an existence, being a, not just a stand-up comic, but being a great one like John is. And, of course, Gary Lewis and the Playboys, we ran short of time last time, and I promised you that when we got back together, I would indeed play your Gary Lewis tunes for you, the ones we never got to play all the way through. So let us do that. We're going to start with my favorite. This is uh, Gary doing his best Beach Boys impression. She's just my style.
she moves. Just my style. Everything about her. Drives me wild.
Now, back to the Wayne Coy Show. say everything good is worth waiting for right well you had to wait like all weekend so apologies for that but hey we got you right there's like three big hits in a row from gary lewis who was our guest so nice to hear from him at uh, his tender age still out doing the thing traveling all across the country playing those hits for people including us here in las vegas he'll be at the golden nugget write the date down it's the 21st uh, which is a friday night so you'll be able to go don't have to get up maybe to go to work in the morning but uh, that'll be fun Showtime, 8 o'clock on the 21st. Looking forward to tomorrow. More of a, kind of a variations on a theme as we look into the group that was known as the Wrecking Crew. Played on just about everybody's songs back in the 60s and on into the 70s. Uh, there's a whole documentary out about that group and the particular players. All, of course, nameless. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know their names, but you certainly know what they played. The whole idea of them being called the Wrecking Crew, though, not everybody who was a part of that group is okay with, and we'll share with you a a story that developed over the weekend that I did not see coming. Kind of a little bit of a sneak attack, right? Uh, I don't want to give you too much. We'll tell you the whole story tomorrow and share everything that happened. And also, at the same time, expecting a good time and a good visit with actor-singer Michael Damien. And that should be tomorrow as well. So we hope to see you then, starting at 7. The 